Showtime Sports presents Showtime Boxing with Eric Raskin and Kieran Mulvaney. Hello and welcome to another edition of Showtime Boxing with Raskin and Mulvaney with my co-host Eric Raskin. I am Kieran Mulvaney. Um, Eric, I can't believe I missed this last week, uh, but apparently when Liam Williams entered the ring against Demetrius Andrade, his back sported a tattoo of Miguel Cotto. Um, I don't know how I missed that, um, but several friends and correspondents tweeted and wrote to us, uh, all of them pointing out that I clearly need to up my game if I am to like maintain my position as the most obvious and blatant public lover of Miguel Cotto. <laughs> and I can tell you now, Eric, that I have. Uh, we're not on Zoom for this conversation, so you can't see it, but allow me to assure you that I am at present sporting a joint tribute to Cotto and Mike Tyson. Yes, I now have a tat of Miguel on my face. <laughs> Um, I am also wearing pink Crocs, but I always wear pink Crocs. <laughs> uh, well, I'm, I'm fine with the face tattoo, but uh, an adult man wearing Crocs of any color, I, I can't abide by that. Well, have you mentioned that to Miguel? <laughs> uh, well... He does have his collection of mouse slippers that he can wear instead, if you'd rather. Yeah, that that I'm fine with. It's just something about Crocs. Not a fan of the Crocs on anyone over the age of about five or so, especially uh, males. But, you know, maybe that's that's just my personal hang-up. But, uh, yeah, sorry to say, Kieran, but I I do think Liam Williams has surpassed you as the world's number one Kodo devotee. Uh, That's fine. Nothing wrong with second place. Um, did uh, Did you see our friend Dick Hercules' tweet about the back tattoo? I didn't know. Uh, it's perfect. Uh, it's not about Kodo specifically. I'm not sure if uh, Dick realized Kodo was on there at the time, but he wrote of the whole mess of a back mural that Liam Williams has. <laughs> Looks like a meth head tried to draw a page from a Where's Waldo book from memory. <laughs> so good. I would say I would say don't let Dick Hercules see your Miguel Cotto face tattoo. He'll hit you with right. a pretty good zinger, I suspect, Kieran. Right. I, I would love to be as witty as Dick Hercules on Twitter. I'd love to be as witty as a lot of people on Twitter, but there we are. Yeah. He's good. I've I've said for a long time, pound for pound, tweet for tweet, like the <laughs> his batting average, uh, nobody else in boxing compares. Right, right. Jim Back Jr. is retired, right? He is retired, and and even so, he didn't have his his yeah. his hits were hit were big hits. He hit a lot of homers, but uh, yes. but he was know, a big strikeout. Uh, yes, percentage as well. Yes. I think so. Yeah, yeah. Yes, the the 1997 Mark McGuire of boxing Twitter. Sure, there you go. Whereas Dick Hercules is is Tony Quinn. There, there you go. Yes, nice. Look at us both like showing our appreciation of another sport and our age. <laughs> right. We did not <laughs> name anyone who played uh, in the past 20 years or so. Exactly. All right. Uh, back to boxing. And it is another case this week of a little bit of the calm before the storm. Uh, we've got a huge summer just ahead of us, beginning on May 8th with Canelo taking on Billy Joe Sanders. And then the following week is the kickoff of the Showtime summer boxing schedule that we talked about with Stephen Espinosa last week. But it is relatively quiet until then. But we do have uh, some things for you this week. Uh, we've got a couple fights to review, a couple more briefly to preview. There's some news to discuss, uh, and we're going to open up the mailbag and answer some of your questions. But before we get to that, let's take a quick look back and a quick look ahead. We'll begin with the past and a couple fights of note from this weekend on ESPN Plus on Saturday night. Emmanuel Navarrete retained his featherweight belt with a 12th round stoppage of Christopher Diaz in a terrific fight in which Diaz really just gave everything, left everything on the table there. Uh, Navarrete climbs to 
33 and 1 with 28 KOs. Diaz falls to 26 and 3 with 16 KOs and suffers his first stoppage loss. Uh, in the co main, light heavyweight super prospect Edgar Berlanga dropped Demond Nicholson four times, but after racking up 16 first round KOs to start his career, was taken the full eight rounds as he secured a wide unanimous victory. His career, pro career up until this point, had lasted 26 and a half minutes or so of in ring action, and he just almost doubled that in one fight. Uh, and on Thursday, Ring City USA's scheduled main event was called off uh, relatively late uh, in fight week when heavyweight prospect Jermaine Franklin tested positive for COVID. As a result, the scheduled co-main was upgraded to a main event, and it produced a shock as Erica Cruz scored a seven-round technical decision over Yelena Mirjanovic to end Mirjanovic's five-and-a-half-year unbeaten run and to win a featherweight world title. Uh, Cruz is well ahead when the fight was stopped because of a cut that was caused by an accidental headbutt. It went to the cards. All three judges had Cruz winning by shutout through seven. She improves to 13 and one with three KOs. Mirjanovic falls to 41, 11 and two with 19 KOs. Eric, any thoughts on the uh, relatively limited action we saw this past week? Yeah, I have a fair bit of analysis to offer on the ESPN card. So I'll kind of gloss right over the Ring City card, other than to say it was an entertaining show from top to bottom. But, you know, no fights or fighters of great consequence there. So I'll, I'll uh, skip right past that and get right to uh, Berlanga. Uh, this was exactly what we wanted to see from yep. him. Uh, I kind of figured Damon Nicholson was going to be the guy to maybe not to go the full eight rounds, but I thought to get out of the first round, I thought he, the, that he was going to be tough to stop that early. I didn't put my money where my mouth was. I thought about betting over a round and a half, and I ultimately wimped out and didn't place a bet. Uh, but... I think Berlanga kind of breathed a sigh of relief when he couldn't get it done yeah. in round one. It was like, okay, pressure's off. Now I can just try to fight my fight. It was a fun streak. It was great for marketing purposes, but it's a really good thing for his development for it to be over uh, and, and for the fight to go the distance so that he's not even pushing for a 100% KO rate in future fights. Um, and I liked what I saw over the next seven rounds. He didn't panic. He didn't get tired. He kept hammering away. He scored knockdowns. I don't think he's the best all-around prospect in boxing, but he's a legit heavy-handed puncher. He has a bright future. This is a good win over a credible opponent. Now the spotlight is off a little, and he can just work on climbing the ladder like any other prospect. Um, as for Navarrete Diaz, this was a tremendous win for Navarrete's stock and a really good loss for Diaz's stock, yeah. if you ask me. Uh, I thought Diaz fought damn well in defeat. He was boxing within himself early on. He had a game plan, was staking out the center of the ring, being smart, countering. And then in round three, it was, oh, right, Navarrete's too good, has too much weaponry. And from there, it never seemed Diaz could win, but he hung tough, kept trying, gutted out an eighth round where after the second knockdown of the round, I thought for sure it was over. Uh, he showed a ton of heart as well as his fair share of skill. The fight had enjoyable ebbs and flows. As long as the punches he took in the final round don't have a lasting physical effect, I think this was a great loss for Diaz. Uh, and, and Navarrete, what can you say about a guy who fights every few months, unless a worldwide pandemic throws off his schedule, and never seems to have an off night? Um, Tim Bradley was going a little far, saying there isn't a featherweight alive who can possibly beat this guy. Uh, I'm going to go out on a limb and say Mr. Gary Russell can at <laughs> least possibly beat this guy. Uh, but Navarrete is just about everything you want a young fighter to be. 
and uh, hey, he's doing his part to keep us in the golden age of uppercuts as well. Uh, so yes, that. <laughs> yes, one hundred percent. Yeah, I absolutely just really wanted to um, endorse what you said there about Berlanga. This was not only what we wanted to see from him; it's probably what he wanted to see from himself as mm-hmm. well. Um, for all those reasons that you said, yeah, you could almost sense that kind of relief, and and it was good to see that not only did he not panic. But it turns out he's somebody who keeps, who does keep his strength deep into fights, mm-hmm. uh, at least against this kind of opponent. Um, if it had been eight and a half rounds, he might still have <laughs> long. He might still have gotten his stoppage. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we talked about it last week. You know, Nicholson, he's been in with some decent opposition, uh, opposition that's had a hard time getting him out of there. So he was, it was a perfect opponent at the perfect time. Um, I was impressed, actually. If anything, slightly more impressed with those eight rounds and four knockdowns than in the very little we'd had the opportunity to see of him before, because we could see exactly what does happen when he can't get somebody out of there. Um, and it appears to be more of the same. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, no, I think that was exactly the kind of development that young Edgar Berlanga needed. Yep. All right. So those are our thoughts on a somewhat slow weekend in boxing. And it's a reasonably quiet weekend next week, too, although there are two cards with some significance, one on each side of the Atlantic. In the Manchester Arena in England, Joseph Parker is back in action a little more than two months since his last outing against Junior Fa. He takes on Derek Chisora, who we last saw dropping a decision to Alexander Usyk in October. Solid heavyweight pairing there that's close to even money at the sports books. Uh, also on that card, Katie Taylor meets her old Olympic quarterfinals opponent, Natasha Jonas, for the undisputed women's lightweight championship. And Dimitri Bivol and Chris Eubank Jr. will also both be in action on the undercard. And at the Dignity Health Sports Park in Carson, California, Andy Ruiz Jr. returns against Chris Ariola. Sources say they're both in the best shape of their lives and finally training seriously this time, yada yada. Uh, but in all seriousness, Ruiz Ariola is a solid enough heavyweight matchup although somehow it's landed on pay-per-view. Uh, you can't see it, Kieran, but I'm furrowing my brow intensely uh, right now. Yes. Um, among the supporting bouts, uh, both on pay-per-view and free TV, are Sebastian Fundora taking on former Jamel Charlo victim Jorge Cota, Omar Figueroa taking on Abel Ramos, and Thomas Lamana, who recently lost to the aforementioned Jorge Cota, facing off against Arislandi Lara. Mr. Mulvaney, what are you most <laughs> looking forward to out of all the above? quite a lot of that actually um it's easy to sneer a little bit at the ruiz areola matchup because you know that part of the consideration was hey let's put these two notoriously fat heavyweights in together and see what happens but uh, i think if you're not at least a little bit intrigued about this fight you're lying um like you said the problem is that it in no way belongs on pay-per-view but it is like you said a pretty good uh, heavyweight matchup and it's mostly intriguing i think not necessarily because of uncertainty about the result. I think that Ruiz Jr. has always been at a different level from Chris Ariola. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's more to see for me just how, you know, Ruiz is making all the right noises, as you said, about being in shape. And some of the photographs we've seen from camp suggest that he's, he's being serious about it and being honest. I think it, it's more of, of, a, of a test to see how determined he is to get that second crack at the brass ring and to actually do it the right way this time. Um, and Ariola has, you know, from what little we've seen of him under Joe Goosen seems to have been, you know, in much better shape and much rededicated. He just at his peak, just, I don't think was good enough fighter to, to hang with Andy Ruiz and certainly won't be now, I think, but these are two really good guys, very likable guys who always put forward a hundred percent. 
Um, so it should be an entertaining fight. It just shouldn't be on pay-per-view at all. Um, and the UK card is kind of decent. You know, Parker Chisora, it's almost like a loser leaves town uh, fight, isn't it? In that, you know, the winner gets to stay and mix it with the Joshua's and Furies and Wilders and Ruiz's and Whites and, and Luis Ortiz and all these kind of guys. But the loser will be in danger of slipping to real gatekeeper status, mm-hmm. especially if that's Chisora um, coming off the back of his lust at Usyk. Um, and Taylor Jonas should be fun. You know, Ch- Jonas is a good Liverpool uh, good Liverpool lass. Um, and although her pro career hasn't quite kicked on in the way folks might have hoped coming out of the Olympics, she's still a really talented and solid opponent. And I fully expect her to give Katie Taylor a very good fight. Yeah, I'd say uh, as far as uh, Parker Chisora, loser leaves town is a, a little strong, but loser leaves top ten consideration. Yeah. Uh, that's that's where that is. You you got to win this fight to stay uh, among the real contenders in the heavyweight division. Yeah. Uh, okay. The tweet of the week um, I want to come to now. It sort of feeds off one of those fights that we just talked about. Okay. Um, and and it's not because it's an exceptionally witty or brilliant tweet, but just because it made me chuckle in the way that was not intended. Um, it was a short video posted on the PBC on Fox social media pages. Uh, and it was Andy Ruiz counting down his top five heavyweights. Uh, at number one, he had Tyson Fury and at number two, Anthony Joshua. So far, so good. Right. I doubt that too many neutrals have a different order. At number three, he put Andy Ruiz Jr., which is defensible. He is the only man with a pro win over Fury or Joshua. He is a former champ, and it's his list. He can put himself <laughs> at number three. I think, uh-huh. you know, that's okay. Uh, number four, he put Deontay Wilder. Uh, also defensible. Sure. He has basically disappeared from view, but, you know, with that right-hand equalizer, you, you'd fancy him to have at least a puncher's chance against anyone, and it wasn't that long ago that we were thinking he was maybe number two, maybe even number one, so okay. But you figure, well, okay, probably got to have like a Dillian White on there next or something like that. And maybe he should have been ahead of Wilder. But actually, no. Uh, number five on Andy Ruiz's list of the top five heavyweights in the world is um, Chris Ariola. Uh, <laughs> yes, Chris Ariola, whose biggest win was arguably Seth Mitchell eight years ago, who's fought three times for the heavyweight title and been stopped three times. Uh, last time out lost to Adam Konachki, who then lost to Robert Hellenius, but who also happens to be fighting on May 1st against Andy Ruiz. So... Good old Andy, man. He he might not always know necessarily about getting into the right shape for his fights and so on and so forth, but he knows how to hype them. <laughs> and I'm sure there are plenty of Fox viewers who are just casual boxing fans who have no idea that he's actually spinning this and think that maybe they're about to see number three against number five. And wouldn't you want to shell out 50 bucks on pay-per-view for that? Yeah, it's a, it's a pretty good job of promoting there by Andy Ruiz. You and I see right through it, and I imagine a, a lot of other people do as well, but a lot of people don't. Uh, I will say there are much worse heavyweight rankings to be found. There are. <laughs> if you look at the alphabet groups, very few of them have as many of the top five correct as Andy Ruiz does. Uh, and uh, Chris Ariola, for all I know, might be higher than five in some of those rankings right now. <laughs> but uh, while you were talking, I called up Chris Ariola's uh, box rec here just to see. Uh, Adam Kaunachki, uh would uh, certainly have a case to be ranked above him, uh, but all other guys he's lost to, let's not forget, I know it was a long time ago, but he's lost twice to Bermains to Vern. Yep. Uh, so, uh, yeah, the top five ranking is uh, pretty tough to justify. I'm not sure if he'd crack my top 25 heavyweights right now, but you know, it's like we say about uh, each other when we assign each other top five lists. It's it's your list. 
Exactly. You know, Andy Ruiz, I'm, I'm certainly not going to tell Andy Ruiz that his answers are wrong, but I, I do see uh, his ulterior motive uh, peeking <laughs> through on this one. Yeah, he, he could have stopped at four. <laughs> right. But that wouldn't have been the point. Right, exactly. <laughs> Number five was very important to what he was trying to accomplish exactly. there. Or what his who his uh, advisor whispering in his in his ear or whoever handles his Twitter account. Can we yeah. assume that this was probably Fred Sternberg put this list out right. for him would be my guess. Right. Exactly. Uh, all right. Uh, let's move along to the news uh, and our main event this week is lightweight Ryan Garcia withdrawing from his scheduled July 9th bout with Javier Fortuna. A boxer withdrawing from a fight isn't normally major news, especially during these pandemic times, but Garcia's stated reason is not like those offered for most fight withdrawals. In an Instagram post, he cited the need, quote, to manage my health and well-being, and said he had decided to take some time off to focus on becoming a stronger version of myself. Just last month, Garcia posted that, quote, I still struggle every day with anxiety and depression at times. I know I look like someone who is happy all the time, but inside I hurt at times, struggling just to function, but I choose to keep moving forward, end quote. By and large, the boxing world has responded with compassion, which might be seen as surprising, or it might be seen as a sign that attitudes about mental health mm. issues have evolved quite a bit over the last few years. Uh, Fortuna stated, I wish Ryan Garcia a speedy recovery. There are things more important than fighting, and I hope he is able to quickly recover. Kieran, you've been open about your own struggles with mental health. So I'm curious, what are your thoughts on what Garcia has said and on his decision to withdraw from this fight for now, at least? Yeah, I have a ton of respect for Ryan Garcia for being so open about the fact that he's struggling. Um, and, you know, you, you talk there about how you know, there is perhaps a greater receptivity to, to mental health now than there was and it's because of people like ryan garcia ryan with a huge social media following um including a huge following among young people it, when people like himself are prepared to just talk publicly about it that just normalizes mm -hmm. the whole thing uh, and it's tremendously beneficial um you know it's very difficult to fake a physical injury to get out of a fight because there's insurance issues and you've got to come up with some kind of evidence that that's why you're not in a, a fight but there are other ways that he could have gone I'm sure to have gotten out of this fight without some excuse he could have made up without admitting to this. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm proud of him for the fact that he did that. And honestly, you know, I hadn't until this announcement read that post that he made a month or so ago. And boy, I tell you the point that he made about seeming to be happy, hmm. but underneath just absolutely struggling to function in the world, there are plenty of mental health uh, sufferers who can really uh, identify with that. I mean, life with, with mental health issues, there are long stretches where it might seem just fine. There are other periods where you're really aware that what Churchill called his black dog is kind of just sitting there lurking in the shadows. Um, unfortunately, then every so often it just emerges from the shadows and, and it kind of takes you over. And that's when you need to sort of take a step back, uh, especially it's affecting your energy, your mood, your ability to focus. It, it's something you need to address anyway. And all the more so if your job involves you being punched in the head and yeah. risking damage to the very organ that is responsible for your mood management. Um, 
generally speaking, by the time it gets to the point where you're either asking for help or telling people that you know you need help, it's gotten to a pretty bad state. Um, so, and it can be a frightening experience. Um, and I know that I've been going through that more this year, even than I have done in previous years. So everything is a struggle right now. You, you, you get yourself together for a bit to do what has to be done, but, uh, the rest of it is, is tough. I don't know exactly what Ryan Garcia is going through, but I commend him for coming out and saying it. I wish him the very best. Um, and, uh, I hope he's, he's able to manage it going forward. Yeah, and it's interesting what you say about, you know, this year has been particularly hard for, for you and some people with these who struggle with these issues, whereas, you know, Mauro Ranallo was on our show and said, actually, he's done much better this year yeah. because he's used to certain things and ready for certain things. Um, but, uh, but yeah, the you know, the point you make about people covering it up, I mean, I had no idea that you struggled with these issues until you told me you struggled mm. with these issues. It, it, you didn't, you didn't wear it openly, uh, you know, for, for all the world to see. And I'm sure there are a lot of people like that, like Ryan Garcia, who you would never give it a second thought until they tell you about it. So, uh, yeah, absolutely good. Good for him for confronting this and dealing with this and, um, just being willing to, to, to tell the world and be open and, uh, hopefully get the help he needs. Indeed. In other news, uh, Mike Coppinger has reported for The Athletic that the proposed Floyd Mayweather Logan Paul exhibition is now back on, possibly for June and apparently for Showtime pay-per-view. Gulp. <laughs> um, Coppinger also reporting that a proposed Manny pacquiao Terence Crawford fight is, however, dead. The fight was tentatively stated apparently for June 5th. Uh, apparently it had gone to the stage where there were papers for folks to sign, Pacquiao's side supposedly signing his, Crawford didn't sign his in any way, it required some mystery funding from Abu Dhabi that didn't come through. Uh, staying with the business side of things, a huge development across the pond, uh, Matchroom UK is ending its partnership with Sky and will see its fights streamed on DAZN in the UK from June, as Matchroom fights already are in the US. Exceptions to that stable will be Anthony Joshua and Dillian White, whose deals will be sort of made on a a la carte, fight-by-fight fight kind of basis. Um, we reported last week we felt Regis Progre was jobbed of a KO win against Ivan Redcack a week ago when he was awarded a technical decision win after Redcack was ruled unable to continue from a low blow that actually appeared to be legal. Um, the Georgia Athletic and Entertainment Commission has now granted Progre that KO win without admitting that the punch was legal, instead acknowledging that a KO win is the correct result when a fouled opponent cannot continue. Uh, and finally... Uh, the documentary Ringside, remember that, folks? Uh, that aired on Showtime last year, and we had uh, the two stars, Kenneth Sims Jr. and Destiny Butler, on the podcast. Great documentary. And it's been nominated for the Outstanding Long Sports Documentary Award and the 42nd Sports Emmy Awards to be live-streamed on June 8th. Uh, congratulations to everybody involved in that. Um, Eric, what leaves out at you there? Uh, so I, I listened to the boss man, Stephen Espinoza, on Chris Mannix's podcast. Uh, Chris got our sloppy seconds. We had Stephen first. Uh, and Stephen <laughs> basically said, uh, yes, he expects the Mayweather-Paul fight to happen. And yes, he expects Showtime pay-per-view to be involved. But there's no date or site yet. Nothing is done. It will put us in a bit of an uncomfortable spot if it happens on Showtime pay-per-view, as we have not been overly enthusiastic about Paul Brothers fights and, and circus fights in general to this point. So, dear listeners, brace yourselves now. We're going to totally sell out. Uh, <laughs> now, uh, in, in all seriousness... I think there are certain intriguing elements to this fight and certain revolting elements to this fight, and we will surely address them all over the weeks ahead 
if indeed it's happening. Uh, the other Showtime-related element in your rundown there, the ringside documentary, very cool. Uh, fingers crossed for a win there. Uh, right call on the Progray result, if for very shaky reasons. Yeah. Um, like, if he actually had been blasted low and couldn't continue, it shouldn't be a KO. That That's a rule that needs to be amended. Uh, but also, I would say to Georgia, just start using replay so you can get the call correct. Uh, in this case, replay would have shown you clean body shot, knockout, end of story. Um, and one last thing, uh, you mentioned the name Anthony Joshua as it pertained to the matchroom news. You didn't mention Mark Kriegel's report Saturday night about Joshua versus Fury. Uh, I'll bring that up uh, real quick here, that the site fee in Saudi Arabia is said to be at least $150 million, meaning $75 million per fighter before the TV money even enters the equation. I can't I can't blame the fighters for taking no. it um, as much as I'd love to see them take a humanitarian stand and say, no, I'll do it for less money in order to take the anti-murder side of the are you for or against murder debate. Um, I, I can't reasonably expect them to do that may as well make enough money from a single fight to never have to work again if that opportunity is presented to you. But again, uh, the fight is still not done. This is just sort of word that's leaking out as the attempts to get the final signatures and get everything finalized uh, are, are ongoing. Yeah, I, I I might suck it up for $75 million myself. <laughs> yeah. we, every hell. man has a price, as Ted DiBiase <laughs> used to say. We know, we know yours now. It's substantially less than $75 million, by the way. It's just 75 Take the million off. <laughs> that's, that's right. 75 anything of any denomination <laughs> is good enough for me. Um, all right. Let's do something that I don't think we've done yet this year. Uh, and that's dive into the mailbag. We put out something of a last minute call on Twitter on Sunday. But fortunately, we got some great last minute responses. So um, let's go ahead and, and jump right in. Uh, and Eric, this first question is for you. It is from Riley in Leicester, England. And he asks... Am I alone in thinking Fury Joshua could be a dud? Well, there are 7.8 billion people in the world, so I highly doubt you're alone with this thought, Riley. Um, I can say for sure you're not alone because a similar thought has crossed my mind. Um, almost any heavyweight fight has dud potential because they typically fight at a slower pace. So you get the wrong style matchup at heavyweight and it can be just totally unwatchable. Tyson Fury, we know, is very capable of being one half of the wrong style matchup. We saw it against Vladimir Klitschko. That was a great win for Fury, but the fight was an absolute eyesore from beginning to end. And of everyone Fury has faced, the most similar in size and style to Anthony Joshua is Klitschko. Yeah. Uh, add in the fact that AJ sometimes seems to tense up in big spots uh, and the fact that he's a massive puncher and Fury will have to be wary of his power. And yeah, we might see two guys circling, fainting a lot, both trying to keep the fight on the outside. And if and when they get close, lots of holding, even mauling. Um, am I predicting a dud? No. Um, but we've seen enough mega fights turn out to be duds over the years that you have to brace for that possibility here. Uh, Mayweather Pacquiao, Trinidad De La Hoya, mm. Lewis Holyfield. Sometimes we get super psyched because it's the best against the best. It's superstar versus superstar. But rarely do those fights turn into Hagler Hearns. Um, I'd say this one's right around 50-50 as to whether yeah. it will actually be 
an above-average action fight or a below-average action fight? Yeah, I mean, I made the same note. I mean, it was perhaps an obvious one about Fury and Vladimir Klitschko. And the same points. Great win for Fury. Terrible fight to watch. Um, it could be that. It's more likely to be a dud if Tyson Fury wins. I think it's less likely to be a dud if Anthony Joshua wins because I think he's going to have to force the action a little bit mm-hmm. in order to win, right? Like Fury can easily settle into that rhythm of boxing, moving, making the other guy miss, tying him up that you just talked about. Joshua's got to do something different, I think, to win. So uh, that, I think, is the more likely scenario. There's a decent chance it's a dud if Fury if Fury is the winner. I think there's a less likely chance of it being a dud if Joshua is the winner. Yeah, makes sense. Um, okay, I mentioned Mayweather-Pacquiao uh, in my answer there. So uh, next question. Uh, Asif from Edison, New Jersey wonders, to a significantly lesser degree, is Pacquiao versus Crawford the modern-day Maypac, i.e. it will never happen until we really aren't sure if we want it? I think we might be at that point already, to be <laughs> That's honest That's exactly with you. what I was thinking, yep. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like a few years ago, and I was quasi calling for it and quasi saying that, you know, Crawford would win that fight with ease. Um, at least there was intrigue. You know, Crawford was the rising star, and Pacquiao, even though seemingly passed his peak, you know, was still a name, still dangerous. Uh, I don't know. You know, Pacquiao's, I wouldn't say rebuilt his status, but reinforced it somewhat with his recent wins over Thurman and Bronner, but... Is there really that much doubt about who would win this fight if it were to happen now? Um, And I'm not sure, you know, as we've discussed it in the past, like, I'm not sure what sense this makes for anybody except Terence Crawford. Mm. Um, So, so yeah, I I don't know. I think we might already be past that point, um, especially as Pacquiao hasn't fought now for over two years. I'll watch it. There's certainly intrigue in it. Um, but also based on what we already just mentioned in the news segment, it increasingly looks as if we may very well not even see it at all. It might not even right. be Mayweather-Pacquiao territory. It would be if Mayweather and Pacquiao were going to meet now, almost, to be honest with you. So I think I wanted to see that fight for a while. I think it's sell by date might have gone. Yep, I have very little to add. I, I had the, this, the same thought that uh, even if it happened right now, it's already past the point at which I would have wanted to see it. And I think that was true a year or two years ago. Really, yeah. this one, the, the window was pretty brief for when I would have been psyched for that fight. Yeah. All right. Here's one to stretch the boxing history brain muscles. Um, a William Detloff, that's clearly a made up name, um, <laughs> writes in to say, a quote, in his column for the next issue of Ringside Seat magazine, Steve Farhood placed Joe Lewis, Archie Moore, Sam Langford, and Jimmy Wilde on his Mount Rushmore of punchers. If you had to remove one and replace him, who would you replace and who would go in his place? Hmm. This is a really interesting question. Uh, yeah. And it's right in the sweet spot of overlap between the Showtime Boxing Universe and the Ringside Seat Universe, as Showtime's own Steve Farhood writes a column Indeed. for the quarterly magazine, as do I, full disclosure, uh, as long as we're uh, giving Ringside Seat this nice uh, free plug by reading this uh, Detloff fellow's email. That's um, the new Jim Bag, I assume, <laughs> William Detloff. <laughs> right, yes. It's, I'm not sure what the pun is there, uh, like Jim Bag, but yeah, there's oh. some hidden meaning somewhere yeah. yes um so let's see uh lewis moore langford wild that's a strong mount rushmore uh yeah. those are actually the exact top four we had when we made a list of the hundred greatest punchers of all time for the ring in 2003 
So I have to remove one. Um, Archie Moore was the number four on that ring list. And I think I will go with him. He had the all-time highest tally of knockouts, uh, holds that record. But he also had, depending on which record book you use, between 220 and 230 fights. Uh, So the knockout percentage for his 141 or so KOs, the percentage isn't that high. So if I have to remove someone, I'll remove Archie Moore. And who to replace him with? Uh, The names coming right to mind are a guy Archie trained a bit, George Foreman, uh, Sugar Ray Robinson, Sandy Sadler, and Ernie Shavers, who who definitely had the highest punching to other abilities ratio. Yes. Um, but I think I'll go with Big George. Uh, KO2 Joe Frazier, KO2 Ken Norton, KO Michael Moore with basically one punch at age 45, and all of it done without looking like he's swinging very hard. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think you just can't go wrong with the punching power of George Foreman. So I would have said Shavers, but I you might have in those twenty seconds have convinced me that actually Big George is a better is a better one, because um, Shavers I think is the one that a lot of folks, especially over the last fifty years, turn to as a no one had the one punch power of Ernie Shavers, um, and that's when we were talking about getting up off the deck moments. Larry Holmes getting up after Shavers that decked him. That's mm-hmm. why that was such an amazing moment. But let's just say I was going to go with Shavers still. Um, I don't want to do this. <laughs> like, I don't want to take one of those four off. Um, <laughs> I mean, you can just, uh, I guess, sort of like build an addition to Mount Rushmore and put a fifth <laughs> head on it if if that's the way you want to play it. Um, gosh. It wouldn't be Jimmy Wilde. Jimmy Wilde was a tiny thing who could hit like a damn mule. Mm-hmm. Um, I got too much love for Sam Langford. And didn't he even, like, drop Jack Johnson when he was still a lightweight or something? Sam Langford, something ridiculous like that. And he went from lightweight to heavyweight and had punching power at all those weights. So it's not going to be Sam Langford. Right. Joe Lewis feels like sacrilege. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, as you're crossing names off and you're saying it's not going to be him, it's not going to be him. I'm so it's got to say be. it can't it's be gotta, Joe Lewis. Yeah. It's got to be the old mongoose. Yeah. It uh, doesn't seem, and I guess I feel more comfortable doing it for his pupil, George Foreman, in hindsight, than I, than Ernie Shavers, who had that right hand and not necessarily a great deal else. So, yeah, I'll switch my answer. Say, yeah, George Foreman for Archie Moore, but with extreme reluctance. <laughs> right. Well, yes. No, no, no one ever said the uh, the mailbag questions had to be easy. That's true. Uh, and here, here's actually... I think speak- we might need to say that in future. <laughs> okay, from now on, only easy questions allowed. <laughs> yes. Okay. Yes, please. All right, well, it Especially doesn't... Especially last-minute ones. Right. It doesn't start right now, because this next one is, uh, is a real tough one. Um, we've been talking quite a bit lately about some of the promising prospects and contenders we have coming up the ranks right now. And Stephen from Wichita picks up that baton and asks, which three fighters do you think are most likely to sit at the top of the pound for pound rankings in 2024. Of course, he doesn't specify when in 2020. <laughs> Let's it's... just assume at the end of 2024 when we're doing our year end lists. Okay, sure. I, is it is right. it that dramatically different if you go April 2024 versus December 2024? I have it all planned out up till April 2024. <laughs> okay. After, um... Tell me the result of every fight between now and then. I would like <laughs> to get some bets down. 
Um, so looking at the ones who are kind of at the top of the tree now, the one who I most expect to still have a good shot of being in the top uh, or at the top in three and a half years or three years is Noe Inoue, who's mm-hmm. 28 and still going strong. But what he might have going against him is he's moved up a few weight classes and he's probably got one more weight class move up in him. And you could almost see that slightly affecting him the way that moving all the way up to 135 is affecting Vasily Lomachenko. Um, so that's a slight mark against him. But he is going to be, I think, in the reckoning. I fully expect Canelo Alvarez, whatever things he might be saying, I think he'll be retired in a little over three years. I just have a feeling that he will be. Um, he's got knee issues and so on. So um, Terence Crawford and Errol Spence may still be in contention, but they'll be 37 and 34 respectively by then. So I'm going to assume that they're not. Teofimo Lopez will be. Um, and I'm going to say he's going to be number one hmm. okay. uh, in three years. And joining him... Let's just say there's a possibility of in no way, but let's just say he moves up maybe a little bit too far, um, drops a decision or so. I think joining Teofimo Lopez, I want to say Virgil Ortiz and Jerron Ennis, unless they've met each other by then, which is possible, and one has temporarily dislodged the other. They may not have met yet in three years, but in three years from now, that might be just we might be at Crawford Spence a year right. ago, two years ago with them. And I, I guess they will be. But let's just say maybe one of them's met. They've met each other and one of them's still standing. I'm going to pick Ennis. And I'll go for a slight reach right now. And somebody who's not really in immediate contention. I'm going to say cool boy Stephen Fulton. Not least because the 122-pound division is jam-packed with exciting and dangerous opponents and that's how you that's how you improve your standing is meeting the best and beating the best. And Steph Fulton has a better opportunity to do that than anybody else. So my slightly out of left field, perhaps list, Teofimo Lopez, Jerron Ennis, Steph Fulton with Naoya Inouye still hanging in there and Virgil Ortiz looking to build himself back up after losing his unification fight with Ennis. Very interesting. So. Two of the top three pound-for-pound fighters in the world in your future predictive listing here are from Philly. Uh, Philly, Philly, oh, hi, Philly taking go. over. That's true. Yeah, I hadn't considered that, but yes. Yeah, but interesting choices there and all totally reasonable, all guys that crossed my mind. Um, I, I went through a similar thought process at first of trying to look at the current guys and will some of the current top three or so still be in the mix three-plus years from now. Um, it's interesting that that he targeted 2024 with this question, just because if he'd said 2026, five years from now, I would mm. be able to very safely assume Canelo and Crawford are out. Um, right. Three years is right on that borderline. I think you make yeah. a good case for why Canelo probably isn't still in the picture at the end of 2024. Crawford also will be up there in years. So, um yeah, I agree that Inoue is probably the one of those guys most likely to be still to still be in the mix. Um, all the guys that you named made sense to me. I throw in a couple other names to consider: Shakur Stevenson, yep, Brandon Lee. It's obviously yep. way too early to say, but if he is everything it seems he could be, um, I could see him near the top of the pound for pound list in a few years. Javante Davis, Devin Haney. There is a lot of young yeah. talent out there right there now. Um, my guess for 2024, I will say, also uh, leaning a little bit Philly here, I'll say number one pound for pound is Boots Ennis. 
mm-hmm. followed by Noya Inoue and Shakur Stevenson. Okay. It is a pretty exciting time, isn't it? I remember we were talking about one of the que- – I think the last time we did a mailbag, one of the questions was what is our favorite weight class right now? And looking through so many of the different weight classes and seeing how much really good talent there is like in contender level, uh, it's, it's a pretty exciting time. Yep. All right. Uh, finally, from our friend and regular correspondent – I never know how to pronounce his Twitter handle – Harden DR, let's say, in Syracuse, New York, asks mm-hmm. – what, if any, permanent changes do you think the COVID-19 pandemic has caused on the sport of boxing? This is a tough one. Um, yeah. We all do tend to move on and forget. And um, just as people eventually forgot about the Spanish flu, like I barely knew anything about it until right. COVID came along. Uh, I don't know exactly how long it'll be, but eventually we'll barely remember COVID and we'll be behaving as if it never happened. Um, I mean, outside boxing? We will see people traveling with masks on, wearing masks when they have a cold, etc. For for a little while, I think for several years, maybe multiple decades. Um, I don't think the handshake is dead, but it's mm. losing some percentage of all future greetings yeah. to the fist bump. Um, but so as far as boxing, um, two things come to mind. One is just a renewed appreciation for a little while, not permanently, but at least for a few years, a renewed appreciation for live fans and what they Mm -hmm. bring to the experience. Um, We learned they aren't essential to boxing the way they are to pro wrestling. Like pro wrestling does not work without fans. Uh, I tried to watch it a couple of times, just couldn't do it. Um, Mm -hmm. But I do think we'll see boxing promoters and fighters make a little more effort to cater to live fans, give them an entertaining experience, even if I can't quite put my finger exactly on on how they'll do it. I just feel like uh, more appreciation for the fans will exist going forward. Um, The other one, the the more tangible uh, change, I think, is Showtime established a strong model for having backup opponents ready. Yeah. Making undercard fights in the same weight class as the main event where someone can step in on short notice or even paying a fighter a small fee to train and be on weight and ready to fight if needed. I think that's something we might see continue post COVID. So fights don't have to be canceled entirely when one guy gets injured in the last few days before a fight or misses weight by several pounds or whatever. I think Showtime established a strong template there that should be used in the future even after COVID is gone. Not not sure if you had any other ideas, but th- those are the ones that occurred quickly to me upon seeing this question. Interestingly, perhaps because I'm just a fundamentally more miserable human being than you, I actually <laughs> had a, some, a different take on the issue of fans in that, yes, I agree with you, first of all, that I think not just boxing, but just about all sport, I'm so freaking ready to stop watching sport in front of empty arenas. Um, No question. Um, But, you know, there was a period at the beginning of this century where at least some promoters got frankly a little lazy and would go for the venue with the biggest site fee and didn't necessarily work extra hard to get you know, asses in seats, you know, and as part of the reason why there are so many fights at Las Vegas casinos that mm-hmm. could have stood to have been at smaller regional arenas. And I feel that 
over the last 10 or so years, like promotion, I think has gotten better and that there was more of an effort to, you know, maybe take a fight if you've got a couple of Texas fighters or, or Southwest fighters to have it in Dallas rather than Las Vegas and in front of a big crowd or at a stadium or so on and so forth. And I feel like there's been more of that. But I wonder if actually this may have caused the pendulum to swing back a little bit and promoters to take the guaranteed money hmm. first, specifically in forms of the site fee. Like, yeah, great if we can get fans in. Don't know that we'll be able to. Anything could happen. Give me the damn site fee. Hmm. And what that's going to mean, unfortunately, is that more and more big fights are going to be in the Middle East. Um, they're not all going to be getting $150 million site <laughs> fees, but there's going to be much more of that kind of money floating around. And so I think we might see more and more of the big fights migrating away from maybe where they should be held and to places where site fees are guaranteed. Um, I don't know what it means for, for the smaller shows. I, I worry that, and again, this is a two-part miserable response. Um, whether it's going to be some consolidation, whether like some of the smaller promoters have taken such a hit that they don't necessarily have the resilience to absorb another major disruption. And right. so I wonder if we may end up seeing yet greater consolidation and we're left with basically just three or four promoters doing pretty much everything, at least, you know, in, in this part of the world. So, so my, my assumptions are just basically much more negative. than <laughs> Yes, they are. And, uh, <laughs> but you know what, the, the second one in particular, I agree with, and I hadn't really thought it hadn't crossed my mind because uh, I do have this sunny disposition uh, that, that you apparently <laughs> lack, but, um, but it, it does make sense. It's uh, that um, the smaller promoters are, have really been feeling this severely uh, for the past year and how many of them will recover, how many of them will stick around, we that that's something that we're gonna i think immediately see is consolidation and, and fewer small promoters around i mean eventually i guess the things will cycle through and new smaller promoters will pop up but the uh the the short-term effect for the next several years i think i think you nailed there um as far as the 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 going for the site fee angle i think that depends a lot on how how gone covid is and, yeah. and how soon if it lingers for a few more years of you know flare flare-ups and and sh shutdowns and uh and and all that then i think you're absolutely right that uh they're gonna want the promoters will want that guaranteed money if we seem to be actually making good progress toward eradicating this thing in the next several months and we aren't locking back down uh, again significantly, then I, I would disagree with that take and say that we mm. aren't really headed in that direction. So if you want to see life boxing, ladies and gentlemen, get vaccinated. Yes, absolutely. And if you don't want to see live boxing, also get vaccinated. Also get vaccinated. Yes, yes indeed, exactly. <laughs> okay. Uh, all right. Uh, it is time for the final segment of this week's show. And Kieran, I know you've been on pins and needles all week, ever since I told you privately way back on Monday that I knew exactly what your next assignment was going to be. Uh, you often like to tell me my challenge is easy or not easy. And I often tell you, as much as I like not having to work too hard, my main goal is for it to make for a fun podcasting segment, whether the challenge is easy or not. Anyway, this time, I'm telling you, flat out, I'm giving you one that will not require much work. Very little, if any, research. And as you told me last time when you assigned me my personal dream fights, no wrong answers, as it's purely your personal preference. I have a very timely topic for you. 
I have the ultimate Showtime shill sellout topic for you. Nice. What I want, Kieran, next week is for you to look at the May to September Showtime schedule and rank your top five fights on the schedule you're most looking forward to. It's easy in the sense that there's only 13 to choose from. So no research required. You look at this list of 13 and rank your five faves. Uh, The numbers work out well in the sense that if we were doing top 10 lists, then you're including all but three fights, and it's kind of a slight toward the three right. fights that don't make it. But this is the top five out of 13. Some very good fights won't make the top five, so no feelings get hurt. You don't come off right. as negative toward anything on the schedule. Uh, I don't think there's any need for honorable mentions. Uh, although, you know, if you want to tell me you're number six or something, I suppose that's fine. Right, uh, there but... are, by definition, eight honorable mentions. So <laughs> right, yes. exactly. Uh, so, yeah, what I want is for you to count down from five to one, whatever your reasons might be, the top five fights you're looking forward to on the Showtime schedule. It's a top five challenge. It's a promotional segment. It's everything rolled into one. Everybody wins. Nice. I very much like this. Actually, we are almost getting towards Celebrity Jeopardy. Um, (laughs) You know, the SNL version. It's almost like, name a boxer. Yes. Any boxer, (laughs) living or dead. Right. Doesn't even have to have been pro. Just has to have put on gloves at some point in his life. Mittens to go outside in the cold will count. (laughs) Also, boxer dogs are acceptable. (laughs) Any human Um, who has worn boxers. (laughs) No, no, I love this. Exactly. An excellent. And, you know, there are actually legitimately very good fights in that schedule. So, uh, no, that's that's good. I'm, I'm very happy to do that. Thank you. Very very much i shall start my preparation on next sunday morning all right perfect and i expect you to return the favor with a legitimately easy no research required list for me at some point soon at some point soon yes absolutely okay good unspecified when but yes absolutely okay all right that will do it for another edition of showtime boxing with raskin and mulvaney many thanks to those of you who wrote in with mailbag questions thank you for leaping in at the last minute there we much appreciate it uh we will be back next week as we look ahead to the big canelo alvarez billy joe saunders card in dallas until then thanks for listening be safe be kind and be well <laughs>